Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. First John chapter 3, verse 11 and 24 is going to come up on the screen, and let's read it here. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one who killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. If anyone hates another brother or sister, uh, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he in them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Let's pray really quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, powerful, it's active, it's living. Uh, And God, when we let it come into our lives, it can transform and change us, and it can cause us to grow into the men and women we have been called to be through Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. How many people like playing games? You guys can have a small group, and I'll hang out with the other people that like coffee and no games, okay? You know, I, I hear that. Have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? That's the title of my message this morning, Two Truths and a Lie. I want to talk to you about two truths that we need to understand through this passage and a lie that we need to overcome. But I was thinking about that game, Two Truths and a Lie, and you know what that game says to me? It says to me that we've become uh, uh, very accustomed to, we get in a group of people, and usually people that play this icebreaker game, Two Truths and a Lie, they say, tell two truths about yourself and one lie, and then we're going to get to know each other, and we're going to try and guess which is the lie. And what you've actually done is put a group of strangers together and you've said, I'm going to be really good at lying to your face right off the first time we meet. Like, that's really what it does. And you're like, how is this game helpful in positive relationships, right? Like, I could tell you uh, two truths and a lie about myself, and you guess what the lie is. You know, one truth is, is that I'm a pastor that has tattoos. Another truth is, is that I got married when I turned 20 years old. Uh, another truth I could tell you uh, is that I'm secretly a millionaire, and I just pastor for fun. <laughs> Anyone want to guess what the lie is there? That's mine and Brandy's ongoing running joke. It's like we believe in transparency in our marriage, but if you do have a secret bank account, now would be a good time to talk to me about it. (laughs) Could really help us out, you know, inflation, all those things. 
But when we come to this passage of scripture, when John starts leaning back into it, it's like, okay, John, we've gone through this up and down. And if you haven't listened to the last few weeks, you can do that if you want. But John really keeps harping on this phrase, children love one another. He's reminding us that we need to see ourselves as children of God that have a heavenly father, that we are actually family. And he says, what's going to prove that to the world is the way you learn to love one another and love God and respond to one another. And he understands that in our human nature and in the way we walk, this is difficult for us. Because I don't know about you, I have a brother and a sister, and my kids have siblings, and this idea of love one another is difficult at times in your home. Uh, We were at a conference recently, and one of the pastors said this, what he teaches his boys is we are nicest to our family. I mean, like, that's a powerful truth. I could preach to my kids on the front row. Guys, we're nicest to our family. (laughs) But I would say that in church. We are nicest to our family. We love them. We cover them. We don't always agree with them. Sometimes they make us angry. Sometimes we get into a little bit of a, a tiff. But we hold to one another in a truth of love and grace. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And John's coming back to this. And he takes a real sharp turn in, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 where he says, okay, I'm going to bring you back to this idea of children. Let's love one another. And he says, hey, by the way, if you don't love one another, don't be like Cain who was a murderer. Like, he brings this real big, sharp turn. It's like, so if you're not loving one another, you're really someone who has hatred in their heart towards people. You might as well be a murderer like Cain. We're like, well, Grandpa John, that's a little bit harsh. That's a little bit extreme. You know, because we've all said this before, too. It's like, well, they're my family. I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. Well, your actions and your attitude towards people start to begin to be revealed on how you truly feel about them because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And when we jump back into this journey with John, he, he makes this statement, and what he's really trying to do is he's trying to make a point. He's trying to hammer down two truths about our relationship with God and with one another And then he also kind of wraps up this passage of scripture in this chapter. He kind of brings it back to this place. He goes, but there's also going to be some lies that come against your conscience, against your heart, and you need to know how to overcome that. And and so everyone say two truths. First truth this morning is this, okay? The first truth that I want you to know about in this passage of scripture this morning is the truth that attitude and actions are important. Both attitude and actions are important. When John starts talking about Cain, when he starts talking about Cain and Abel's relationship, when he starts talking about how, you know, if you have hatred in your heart, if you have, uh, uh, it'll lead to evil actions. If you don't know how to love your brothers and sisters, you actually aren't living the way God has called you to live. Why? Because he's trying to drive this point home that your attitude and your actions are very important. And it can work two ways. There's some examples here. Some people, People have attitudes that affect their actions, and some people determine to walk out actions that change their attitudes. 
And we've all done it. We can have a bad attitude and do the right thing. But let me tell you, when you do the right thing over and over again, your attitude begins to change towards those things. Why? Because you understand the fruit that it produces, the life that it produces. But when we have a bad attitude that drives our actions, it leads us down paths that we don't want to go. It takes us to places that hurt ourselves, our relationship with God, and our relationship ultimately with others. And this is why in 1 John 3, 12 to 14, it reads like this. It says, little children, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And it says, and why did he kill him? And this is an important question because if you go all the way back to Genesis, that why did he kill him? It says here, because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who does not love is still dead. Don't be murderers like Cain. That's a good thought for a Sunday morning. If I preach anything in a church on a Sunday morning, oh, we went to that church, that pastor, don't be a murderer. That's a good message on a Sunday morning. That seems like a far greater jump than it needs to be in this passage of Scripture, yet it shows the effect that attitude can have in our actions towards God and towards one another. Cain didn't wake up one morning and decide to be a murderer. It said Cain was angry and his anger got the better of him because he could not settle in his heart to do things God's way. Cain's murder of his brother Abel came because when Cain decided my attitude towards God, when God said, this is how you bring a sacrifice, this is how you worship me, we have to believe that Adam and Eve would have taught them about this, that when they saw Jesus, uh, when they saw the Father cover them in their sin, in their shame, in their nakedness, that he shed the blood of an animal, and that's what brought covering for their sin, and, and that's what brought them to a place of uh, a communion with God. Cain and Abel would have been taught this by their parents, yet Cain decides, well, I'm going to offer to the Lord what I want to offer to the Lord. It doesn't matter what God asks for, I'm going to do what I want. And so he decides, I'm just going to grab some different things that I think are okay, it's good enough, and I'll give God what I want. But then Abel follows the pattern and the plan, and he he honors the word of God, the commands of God, what he's been taught. And it says that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice and he rejected Cain's. And now Cain is angry at God. He's angry at his brother because his brother did what was right and, and he received the acceptance of God. But his heart and attitude was still in the place of saying, God, why wasn't what I want to do good enough? And God says, well, it's not the way I asked for it. And God actually warns Cain and he says, Cain, you need to be careful with this. Because your attitude is affecting your heart. Your attitude is changing what you believe about me, how you feel about people around you. And if you're not careful, it says this in Genesis 4, 7. He says, sin is waiting at the door. It's crouching at the door. And it wants to take hold of your life. And God didn't say to Cain, you're an evil person. I hate you. You can't be received. He goes, no, no, Cain. He goes, I love you. But if you do it the right way, wouldn't I receive you? Wouldn't you feel the same acceptance that I have for your brother, for you, for anyone? He goes, but if you choose to continue to walk in your own way, your own merit, and think, well, this is just good enough, and that's all I'm giving you, God. God's saying, I still love you, but I can't let you keep walking down this path. And he says, Cain, there's destruction waiting at your door. 
And I think sometimes in our hearts, in our lives as believers, we actually don't understand the importance that our attitude and our actions are very important when it comes to the way we worship God, the way we love one another, the way we see people, the way we receive them into our lives. Thank God we have a book that tells us how to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, how to walk those things out. But the Bible is very clear that if we don't keep a, a, a watch on our attitudes, if we don't let the love of God grow in us, a, a simple attitude can turn into a very destructive action that damages not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. And, and, and God is really leaning into, and John's really leaning into, how you love one another is actually going to affect how you walk with me. It's going to affect how other people receive me, how they see me. And so he says, I don't want you to be like Cain. I want you to watch your attitude and your actions. And let's remember when John writes his book, he's in Ephesus. The church has been scattered. He's an old man at this time. And he's trying to remind the church of all the things he wrote in his gospel about what Jesus really said about himself, about his divinity, about his love for people. John's gospel really explores the love of God in a deeper way than any of the other gospels. But he says there's so much truth balanced with the grace and love of God in my book. And he's trying to bring them back to that in this letter. And that's why he keeps saying love one another but then he keeps throwing these theological nuggets in there saying you guys you have to watch out for some of these things because Gnosticism was on the rise this idea that we can be enlightened beyond what Jesus actually said and I know better now and one of the early early thoughts of Gnosticism was this Gnosticism believed that man's inherent flaw was um, sorry, what's, I lost the word that I'm looking for. Man's early inherent flaw was ignorance. That's what it was. They say the problem with man is not that they're inherently evil, it's that they're ignorant and they don't know. So when they don't know, they just do bad things. Where scripture teaches that man's inherent flaw is rebellion. Like Adam and Eve didn't get to say, Lord, we didn't know we were sinning. God says, you rebelled against me. I laid it out. I put the path in front of you. And we live in a world where people want to say, I can justify myself because if I say, oh, well, I just didn't know. I'm sorry I hurt someone. I guess it's not really bad. It's not really my fault. I didn't know. You ever been there? Sometimes I have those conversations with people and they're like, like, I, I didn't know this would turn out this way. I'm like, really, you didn't know? Or you wanted to do what you wanted to do anyways? And it kind of came around and it bit you in the butt. God is saying to us, church, people, when it comes to loving one another, when it comes to loving me, if you don't keep a close watch on the attitudes of your heart and the actions and steps that you take, it can lead down a very destructive path. When we act in love and our attitude towards others is love, it shows that our nature is being changed. And this is what uh, James says about that. James says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. It's coming. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. 
yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. And, and, and this is what God is saying. The antidote is verse 7 to 8. We're going to get there right away. But this is what God is saying. When your attitude and your actions lead towards your own self-indulgence and self-pleasure, your heart towards me and your heart towards people is not going to be right. It's the desires within you. And God says, I'll give you the things that you ask for that are in line with my will. But he says, often when you're asking, you're not asking for the betterment of people. You're not asking so you can be a blessing. You're asking so you can fulfill your own evil desires, your own pleasure, the own cravings of your own heart. And God says, if I give that to you, you're going to be destructive and it's going to hurt you. So the antidote comes in verse 7 to 8. It says that we need to be transformed. We need to make sure our actions are loving. Our attitudes are responding to the love of God in our lives. So it says in verse 7 and 8 of James chapter 4, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And, and John is saying in his book, he's saying, I don't want you to be like Cain. I don't want you to lose control of your anger, your attitudes, your actions, because they will lead you down a destructive path. But when you direct your heart and your attitude in, in gratitude and thanks and, and your actions are walking out the path and pattern of Jesus, you will live transformed and it will change you. So let's remember there are two truths that we need to understand. The first one is this, that attitude and actions are important. The second truth is this. Everyone say second truth. And I got eight minutes. We're going to do it. The second truth is this. The truth is that love reveals faith. Love reveals faith. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Talk is cheap, and love is costly. And I want to tell you something. Faith that is real counts the cost and pays the price. But the only reason we are able to do this in our humanness is because the example of Jesus. This is why right in the middle of this passage it says, this is real love. That Jesus laid down his life for us and so we ought to do that for one another. The very life and model of Jesus leads us to serve one another, love one another, lay down our lives for one another, and not lay down their lives for us like Cain did. See the contrast here? Jesus comes and he said, I want you to follow my example. I want you to lay down your lives for your brothers and sisters the way I laid down my life in you. And we live in a world that says, how many people can we put down so we get to where we want to be? And God says, how often are you willing to lay down your pride, your anger, your unforgiveness, what you think you deserve so other people can come along and understand the grace and love of God that we all get to walk in because we didn't earn it on our own. We didn't do it on our own. And Jesus models this. And we need to come back to a place where we realize that love reveals whether or not our faith is real. 
And tell people till you're blue in the face. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and I love you too. But when there is no action that leads to a loving relationship with a person, or if your actions are contrary to the words that are coming out of your mouth, I love you, but then you turn around and you do something that breaks trust or hurts them time and time again. It doesn't, it doesn't come together. It doesn't show people that what you say you believe and what you're living out in your life is actually real. It hasn't rooted in, and you are in name only calling yourself a believer or a Christian who's walking in the love of God. And, and the Bible is saying that when we are truly changed and transformed, it should actually change the way we treat one another. <clears throat> And John, when he keeps saying love one another, let's get back to the idea that this is the church first. And sometimes a person sitting an aisle over from you or two rows behind you is the hardest person for you to love some days. But have we determined in our heart that our attitude be one, would be one like Jesus had where we would pour out our life, we would pour out our love, and that we would actually sacrifice some things in our life to show other people that we love them? that we care about them. And so the two truths are this, that actions and attitudes are important and that the way we love one another actually reveals that our faith is real. But still there is a lie that we need to overcome. Because near the end of this passage, John comes to kind of a conundrum, kind of like a, a tension in our hearts and our lives. Because we're trying to say, okay, I gotta love people like Jesus did. I gotta lay down my life for them like Jesus did. <clears throat> and then we start to think about our hearts and our lives. And, and if you're like me, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but you're, you're like me, you're like, but God, some days I don't want to do that. And I would never say it out loud to that person, but in my heart, that's how I feel. I don't want to do the right thing today. I don't want to have a right attitude towards that person. I don't want to step into all the things that I know I should. And so I struggle because when it says, well, you really know that you're, you're saved, you know that you can have confidence before God by the way you love one another, by your attitudes and by your heart, and then you get days where your heart starts to tell you different things than what you actually want to do and the way you want to follow Jesus. And I believe the lie that many of us face is this. It's this lie that says I should be fearful and worried when I can't get it all together. You ever been there? It's like, God, I'm trying to love people. God, I'm trying to work on my attitude, and then I, I mess up. And sometimes I just wish I didn't have to deal with that person, or sometimes I have things that I know about in my own heart, evil thoughts that... God forbid anybody ever find out about those things. And, and you know, it's, this isn't even the enemy accusing you. This is your own heart, your own conscience telling you, you know you can't do this without Jesus. And the enemy would try to prey on that. It doesn't mean we ignore the issues that we deal with in our heart. It means we put them at the feet of Jesus. But the enemy will prey on that and say, see, you better do more. You better be better. You better put on a show. You better put on a front. Otherwise, you're going to not be accepted by God. He's going to stop loving you if you don't get all of this stuff together. And there's a lie of the enemy and there's a lie of our own heart that says if we can't get it all together, we should be fearful and worried. And I believe that every single one of us faces the challenge of a condemning heart. 
We face the challenge of uh, imperfect obedience. Because Jesus said things in the scripture like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we're like, oh God, I'm trying. And Jesus, you know I love you, and, and, and I want to love you, and I want to grow, but I make mistakes, and I still fail. That prayer I prayed at the altar didn't take all the evil desires out of my heart. It sure changed the way I deal with them, but I'm still wrestling some days. And the process of sanctification can often leave us believing some days, am I even saved? Have I gotten very far in my walk with Jesus? You can walk with the Lord for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and wake up some mornings and say, Lord, how come I haven't overcome all these things in my heart? And you sit there, and if you sit in it for too long, your own heart's going to tell you you're not good enough for God and you're never going to get this together but here's the good news that's a lie that we can overcome because first john chapter 3 verse 20 says this it says even if we feel guilty other translations say even when our heart condemns us god is greater than our heart come on aren't you glad that god is greater than your feelings my gosh, because my feelings sometimes need to be put back into alignment. Sometimes I need to angry run them out of my life. Sometimes my wife needs to tell me to fix my attitude. Sometimes my feelings just need to change. Why? Because my feelings are deceitful. My emotions aren't always right. But even when my feelings and my heart condemn me, it doesn't mean I'm not aware of the things lurking or... <clears throat> Or the struggles that we have, we lay them at the feet of Jesus. But when we get into that self-condemnation mode, when we get into that place where we can't <clears throat> be obedient enough for God, and we think we're never going to make it, and one day he's just going to be done with us, and he's going to drop us, and we get back into that religious mode that if I don't do enough to love God, maybe I won't end up in heaven one day. Let me tell you, that is a lie of the enemy that can be overcome. Why? Because God is greater than your heart. He's greater than your feelings. He's greater than your sin. He's greater than your emotions. And all he asks is that we turn our attitudes and our actions towards his word and his ways. Amen? So why don't we stand this morning? The band's going to come back up because they want to take us out on a, a jumping, bumping, fast song. Because we need to work off some calories and jump around a bit before we go eat at food trucks. I want to leave you with three things as we close. And now the band's nervous that I called them up. I want us to know this morning that because God is greater than our hearts, we can do three things. You ready? If we truly lean into and know that God is greater in our hearts, Number one, we can abide in him and be confident in the relationship that we have with Jesus. Some of you just need to come back to the place where you spend more time with Jesus. Because that struggle of your self-condemning heart, of your feeling like I can never be good enough, I can never do this, it goes away when you spend time in the presence and with the person of Jesus. If he is greater than our heart, we can abide with him and be confident in our relationship with him. Romans 8, 16 says this, that the spirit testifies 
those who are His. When you get in the presence of God, when you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, it tells you, you don't have to run from God. You don't have to hide from Him. You can live in relationship with Him and abide in Him and be confident that God loves you. Number two, because He's greater than our heart, you can believe and have faith that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for your weakness. He sees through your struggle. God looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus on your life and says that paid the price and I know you're struggling along but I know you're growing and I'm leading you and I'm guiding you and one step at a time you're becoming more and more like Jesus. But the last thing we can do when we understand that God's greater than our heart, we actually believe that we can obey him. How do we obey God? Well, some scriptures say it's by getting the word in us. And we don't obey him out of fear and duty and angst. We obey him because we understand that love in action leads us to the fullness of God. That our obedience to God is simply us pouring out our love to Jesus and our love towards one another, and that brings us closer and closer to Jesus. Belief and faith go hand in hand. You need to have faith to believe and know that God is for you. He's leading you forward. He's never going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. You're not choosing to walk away from him. He's dealing with the heart issues, the attitudes, faith brings you to a place where you trust that but then you need to believe that Jesus you are enough and when I make mistakes I come boldly before the throne of grace I offer my heart I offer my life and I say Jesus I thank you that today I feel self-condemning today I feel far from you but God I know you are greater than my feelings I know that you are greater than my heart and because of that I can become who you've called me to be amen amen let's pray heavenly father I thank you that in a world that is ever watching every area of our lives and people get canceled left and right and we look at a sinful society in need of a savior and then we look at our own lives and we're like, God, how can we even do any of this? God, you are bigger than all of that. And you sent your son Jesus to love us, to lead us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to show us that when we put our hope and our confidence in you, We can live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We don't have to live based on our feelings. And because of that, we can say about us that the life we now live, we live by our faith in the Son of God. And when we live by faith, it means we in turn are going to love one another. We're going to pour our thanks and our praise to love you, Jesus. So this morning as we close and as we wrap up, I pray that you would bless all the food that we're about to have. But I pray more importantly... God, would you stir our hearts to have an attitude and an action of love to any single person and every person that's come from our community to show them we're grateful they're here. We're glad we got to spend this Sunday together. And let us be the hands and feet and love of Jesus. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.